toward uh, the end of The Office, the television show, uh, there is a character uh, named Andy Bernard, one of the more incompetent employees at Dunder Mifflin Paper Company, and he uh, decides to pursue his dream that he's talked about a lot, which is singing and performing. I should probably turn this on. There we go. I'd just like to throw, you know, give people tests, right? I should have uh, So, Andy Bernard, incompetent employee, pursues his dream of being a performer, and he decides to go on a reality contest uh, for a cappella singers. And it, it, it's the format of all of the uh, competition singing shows, and he, he goes before judges or tries to uh, get a, uh, this tryout before the judges, and it does not go well. Um, it, it goes terribly, in fact, and he, he can't sing well, and he makes a fool of himself, and he sits down at one point and just starts to cry. And one of the judges says, you, you can't just sit here and cry. And his response is, I can so just sit here and cry. And then it's later in the next episode turned into a song. It's auto-tuned and edited in such a way that it becomes this uh, viral video. And you, you can find it on the YouTubes or uh, other places on the uh, Internet. And um, uh, it, I, I can hear him saying it even as I say those words. I can so just sit here and cry. And it is a, an absurd scene. Uh, this uh, man in his 40s, middle-aged man, uh, crying over this a cappella uh, show uh, that he doesn't make, uh, crying over the fact that he doesn't get reviewed well. And it's on national TV, right? And it uh, becomes this big thing. It's absurd uh, because he, he is ridiculous. And it's part of the show, right? It's a, a, it's a comedy show that they write him as ridiculous, which makes it funny. But it, it, it begs this question, and even people's response to him later uh, begs this question of how do we respond to tears? Uh, how do we actually enter into tears ourselves? What, what's appropriate to, to cry over, to feel strong emotions over? What, what's the, uh, e- either the, the drive that we have to go in that direction? What's the focus? What are we, what are we thinking about? And, and what we find uh, in... in very clearly much deeper ways is tears, crying, weeping, mourning, lament uh, that is given to us to say this is absolutely uh, appropriate. And, and this is maybe particularly appropriate right now in, in this time, just uh, both in my own experience over the last year and a half uh, and in conversations with many of us both in this room, in this church, and in other places, uh, we are feeling things in deeper ways right now. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, Even in our own circles here in Redeemer, there have been two tragic funerals that we've uh, attended over the last month. And and that's just on top of all of the other things uh, going on. We don't even have to list those things. We know exactly exactly what I'm talking about. We're feeling deeply uh, right now. And, uh, and fortunately, the, the scripture continually gives us direction in the midst of our grief. Um, and sometimes, though, can, can teach us more than just the appropriateness of that grief, but it does absolutely do that. And we'll see two things uh, in this passage. We see the urgency of grief and the focus of grief. I, I want to say just really quickly, because... Um, this is a big passage, and there were only a few verses that were read. We have essentially the death of Saul and his leaders. Uh, the, the, that is, the leaders of Israel. And Israel is the people of God. 
This is not the way it works now, Israel, and we, and, um, uh, we, we want to be praying for Israel and the conflict with Palestine right now, but th- that's a, a different entity than what was going on in the Old Testament. Israel was the people of God. The people of God now are the church across all nations, across all peoples, but at this time, the people of God were Israel, and the leaders of Israel were cut down on Gilboa, and so that many saw and they fled. We know from chapter 31, verse 7, they fled the cities, and the Philistines came in and lived in them. This was something to grieve and lament. This was not a good thing for the people of God. And uh, David also then grieves and laments the death of Saul and his sons, particularly Jonathan. Uh, this, this is a dark time, but it's a part of this bigger story, and it's helpful to note First and Second Samuel, it's really one book. Uh, it's a, a bit artificial, and it's broken into two. Uh, that's why we included chapter 31 of 1 Samuel and first chapter 1 of uh, Second Samuel, they, they are the same story. They fit together. And the focus here is on the death of Saul, his sons, the other leaders uh, in the people of God, and the exile of Israel. So we find in that the urgency of grief and the focus of grief. Um, let me pray and we'll jump in. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds, that we would feel deeply in, uh, in, in very appropriate ways, Lord. And that our grief would be led by you and by the Holy Spirit working through your word and in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing is, and we maybe need this reminder sometimes, is the urgency of grief. Uh, the recognition that mourning and weeping is right and good. We've, we've said this a good bit, uh, both looking at Ecclesiastes. We see it all over First Samuel. We see it all over the Psalms. I hope that as a part of this church that this isn't a new concept to you. That, that grief is good and right, and we should enter into it. Now, that's not always the case in the church, uh, but it absolutely is here. So that David, in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, he's in the midst of an interaction with this uh, Amalekite who has come and brought him news of the death of Saul. And, and he is right in the middle of that interaction. There's actually more really important parts to come as he deals with, and uh, as the now leader of God's people judges Uh, this Amalekite, Uh, right in the middle of that, before he gets to these really important things, before he gets to, okay, what now? What now for the people of God? What now for this uh, Amalekite who has confessed to murdering God's anointed? What what now? There's so many questions that he could be asking, right? But what does he do right in the middle of the story? Verse 11, 2 Samuel 1, then David took hold of his clothes. This is after it's been confirmed that Saul and his sons are dead. He took hold of his clothes and tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and Jonathan, his son, and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. The urgency of grief here. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of things to take care of. There are a lot of things to think about. And yet it was appropriate in that moment. The tearing of the clothes is this physical sign of grief. And here is this recognition that our our physical and spiritual, it's all tied together. Our emotional, we we don't separate those things. That's one of our our, our dangers is to separate the the emotional. The grief is just this thing that we do internally. They're also doing it with the people of God. This is important as a part of the urgency is playing out, not just David in his own heart, but it's playing out for everybody. They're they're mourning together. David and all the men who are with him are doing the same thing. And then he writes down the lament, the whole lament that that Barb read here at the end of chapter one is given to the people to, to, to pray. 
This lament is this idea of formal grieving and, and corporate grieving. And, and, and we have this throughout Scripture. We have it in many of the Psalms, many of which David himself wrote. We have it in the book of Lamentations. Uh, this idea that grief is something that we share. And this is incredibly important for us uh, as the people of God. We're meant to share life together. We're meant to share grief together. We are not meant to hold it inside and just deal with it on our own. And if we do, we will destroy ourselves. And so if, if you're experiencing grief from, from anything, really, uh, whether it's uh, things from the last year and a half in the pandemic, whether it's the loss of loved ones, whether uh, it's life changes that you uh, are dealing with, whether it's tension in your families or anxiety that you're having, uh, the, the encouragement is to deal with those things with the people of God. Deal with those things with others. And it is, is actually... I would say, urgent that we do so. That we don't just hold it in for ourselves. And, but to then also, in the midst of that, there's this need for us to recognize that there is a need for grief. That things are not the way that they're supposed to be. That this thing that's going on for David, he's, he's, he's doing this. He's grieving because this is not right. Even the death of Saul, who has already turned away from God. Even the death of Saul, who has attempted to kill David himself. It's not the way it's ultimately supposed to be. It's a result of the fall. And let's not act like that's not the case. I, I uh, recently finished watching the series The Good Place. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, it's a comedy. Uh, it's set in the afterlife, The Good Place. And there's a whole conversation over the course of the four seasons uh, about what happens. It, it, it's not purporting to be true or real, uh, but they actually reinvent. Okay, if we could reinvent a system that works, and, and, and the clear idea is a system for judging rightly where people end up, the good place or the bad place. Uh, one of the fascinating things is in the end, what they do is they decide to have this place, the, the, the real ultimate good place, that, in, that will end when, uh, for each person as they decide that they're done with it, as they decide really that they're, they're bored. Um, and there's a whole thing there about the fact that uh, goodness is only defined by their imaginations, right? So they just get bored with what they're able to imagine is good. That's a whole other, I'm going off on a tangent. Um, they, they decide that what should happen is that people would be able to make a decision, uh, I'm done. Um, but what becomes clear as they move through that is that it is sad every time somebody makes that decision. They're trying to make peace with death. They're trying to enter into this idea of the circle of life. It's just the way it is. It, it, it makes life more meaningful. This, this whole conversation. And the show is oftentimes uh, fascinating as a comedy that, that deals sometimes in some deep thinking, right? So it is fascinating the, the way that they address this. But they're ultimately trying to make peace with death. And it becomes evident that it's not possible because every time somebody makes that decision that they're in relationship with, it is sad. It is not the way it's supposed to be. And so we make a mistake if in any way we try to make peace with death or try to make peace with the world and the things that are broken and not the way that they're supposed to be. The call scripturally is to again and again engage those realities, to grieve over them, to do it with one another. In addition to the urgency of grief, we see the focus of grief. What is it that causes uh, David to grieve? And we'll look at this in three ways. That he grieves over Jonathan, he grieves over Israel, and he grieves over Saul. 
And, and I take that in order of what, what seems to be clear to make the most sense to us. So he grieves over his friend, Jonathan, this very close friend that he has that uh, in verse 26, he, he says, well, at the end of verse 25, Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I'm distressed for you, my brother, Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. He has this deep relationship with, with Jonathan. A couple of things here that are helpful for us to, a little bit side notes, but it's uh, a result of our culture that misunderstands love. We have uh, absolutely uh, focused on eros, that word for love, we have, which is to say that we have uh, sexualized the word love. It, it, we only, we hear it and we think in romantic, uh, erotic ways. And so uh, people read all kinds of things in here. And there was no understanding of the word love in that way uh, in this passage. Love is this sacrificial, uh, in, in the Greek, in the New Testament, this agape love, this care for one another. So we misunderstand that. And, and actually, the over-sexualization of our culture and the way it plays out in identity has all kinds of implications. They're pretty new in history, uh, and this is one of them. We misunderstand uh, love. Now, this is uh, where Jonathan, we, we saw uh, back in chapter 23, uh, as Jonathan would have thought that he would be the next king. He's willing to give that up and say, it's you, David, because of what, what God has said. It's you, and I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to help you. Uh, he's willing to sacrifice his, his own power, his own positions uh, to, to care for his, his brother. Uh, we also just misunderstand what, what it's like for uh, two men or two women to have deep relationship. We do a terrible job of that uh, today. So there's a lot of misunderstandings that play into uh, the way that we might read this verse. But uh, we find here a very close friend, and it's right, and we understand, at the loss of a loved one, at the loss of a close friend, that, that David would weep and grieve over that. That makes sense to us, Right? Death is not the way it's supposed to be. We should not lose our close friends. Uh, but then we move on, and, and, and maybe we, we get a little more challenged as we see the other grief, the other lament that he has. The, the second is for Israel. Israel, who is now in exile, we know from chapter 31, verse 7. They saw that Saul and his sons and the other leaders had been slain on Gilboa, and so they flee the cities, and the Philistines come and live in them. So this is devastating for the people of God. And David recognizes that as he weeps and laments, as they tear their robes. They do so for Saul and Jonathan, but also for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel. There's a recognition here that they have this passion. David has this passion for the people of God. He, he is going to be their leader. Um, he, he has been told by Samuel, the prophet of God, that that is his role. He's not in that position officially yet, but he has been set aside for that position. And so as the leader and the men around him are weeping for the people of God, they have this heart for the work that God is doing in this world through his people. This causes them to weep and to lament. And there's this challenge for us to think about the ways in which we care for the church in which we care for the people of God uh, around the world. Places where we've talked about Pastor Wang Yi and Early Rain Covenant Church and prayed for them uh, in Chengdu, China because of the persecution that they're experiencing. That is right and good grief for us to have. We, we should be lamenting uh, the effects 
of the church in Palestine, many Palestinian Christians that are, that are facing really difficult times in the midst of uh, the conflict with, with Israel. We should be lamenting the brokenness of the church uh, in our own uh, country where people are turning away from uh, the faith. These are things that are right to, to grieve, to lament over. It's not always where we go. We're, we're often focused on what's going on in, in my life. This is a, a challenge maybe to broaden our hearts and the things that we might grieve for. And lastly, I think that the one that is maybe the most surprising or most challenging is to see David lamenting and mourning for Saul. And that should be surprising, right? If, if you've been following along with the story, Saul has already turned away from God. He's rebelled against Yahweh. And he has been out to kill David. And, and David has had two opportunities to kill Saul and doesn't do it because he is the Lord's, Yahweh's. That's the personal name for God. Where he says, I will want to be your God and you be my people. Where, where Yahweh's anointed Saul is spared by David because he is Yahweh's anointed. David's not making the judgments at that point. He's so focused on Yahweh. He's so focused on his Lord. That is the focus of his life that he values Saul, even as Saul is a mess. Even to the point we noted a few weeks ago that that Saul murdered 85 priests and their families because they gave haven to David and his men. David has this singular focus on the Lord that he mourns and even celebrates Saul because he is God's anointed. He's not putting himself in the position of, this is incredibly difficult for us. This is not the way that we operate. David ultimately is making this decision that he is not questioning God. He's not the judge, God is. C.S. Lewis uh, gives us a clear picture of this idea and how we deal with this now in a book called God in the Dock. And he says, the ancient man, which actually was most humans throughout history, Uh, until fairly recent history, he says, the ancient man approached God, or even the gods, as the accused person approaches his judge. For modern man, the roles are reversed. He, that is the modern man, is the judge. God is in the dock. He is quite a kindly judge. That's us. We are uh, quite kindly judges. If God should have reasonable defense for being the God who permits war, poverty, and disease, he's ready to listen to it. The trial may even end in God's acquittal. But the important thing is that man is on the bench and God is in the dock. This is not where David finds himself. This is regularly where we find ourselves. We are the judge of God and we will decide uh, if what he has done and what he does fits. So we look at uh, history. We look at our own lives. We look at the events that happen. And, and we make a decision as to whether or not we think this is uh, a good thing or not. And what David is reminding us is that we're not God. That God is the creator, that he is the one that is central to all things. And this is surprising. He does it in ways that don't really make sense to me. Are probably not the way that I would respond. I am quick to judge others and I'm quick to judge God. But there is a challenge here to find ourselves judged by God and looking and trusting in him. Because we know that this moment, 
and even Saul, it's a part of a bigger story. It's a part of the story told to us in First and Second Samuel, but First and Second Samuel are just a part of a much larger story. David is, I mean, God is here establishing David as king, and, and God has big plans for David. He's already made that clear. We see some of those come uh, to fruition later as, as David reigns and rules, and then there's the promise of the Savior to come through David's line, and that is Jesus Christ. This is a part of the bigger story that God is working, that, that David couldn't have known and been able to judge accordingly at that time. There's more to the story. And so he laments and prays because he knows that there is a God who is working things for his glory and for our good. There's a pastor uh, in our denomination in St. Louis who has since died, but at his wife's funeral, his name is Kurt Lutchens, and at his wife's funeral, he said, our laments are meaningless unless God has a heart that beats for his people. Our laments are meaningless unless God has a heart that beats for his people. And the story of scripture is that God has a heart that beats for his people. That this work he's doing through David, the work that he's doing through David's line to bring about the Savior, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, is a heart that beats for us. It's a heart that grieves as well, so that, that Jesus, the King of Kings, when he comes to this earth, when those promises are fulfilled, when we see so much of the story play out, that Jesus himself grieves over death, that he weeps at the death of his friend Lazarus in John chapter 11. And he weeps and he laments in that moment because of his very heart for you and for me. And it's not just about Lazarus, because Lazarus is about to rise from the dead. He knows that's coming, but he knows that he himself is headed to death. Enable that in order that he might rise from the dead. He knows the greater story, but he knows that's not the way it's supposed to be. He knows that he's there to fix what is broken because his heart beats for you and for me. That's the hope that comes. That's the God who calls us to lament and mourn and weep because he offers us hope in the midst of that. And the grief isn't wiped away yet, but it one day will be. That's the promise of Revelation 21, that every tear will be wiped away from their eyes. That's the the promise that we have. Death will be no more. That's the hope that we have as we weep and lament.